So this evening, prayer and praise. I was toying with what to talk about, and eventually I kind of, I, I, in, my, in my planning, I drifted away slightly from the theme of prayer and praise, so, so forgive me for that, but we, we've talked about that early on. And what's, the reason that I went off is because I went off on a bit of a tangent, and the tangent started when I was trying to think of the, the link between prayer and praise. What links are there? And obviously, they both, they both acknowledge God, they're both good, they're both things that we're told to do, we're encouraged to do, that we should do, and that hopefully we do do. Um, but when we pray, we have to try to articulate what we want to say. If we're upset about something, a perceived injustice, we have to pray in a way that doesn't sound like we're having a rant to God, which sometimes could be a bit of a challenge. If we've wronged somebody because we kind of lost our rag a bit in, on the spur of the moment, then we have to pray in a way that sort of holds our hands up, but we don't want to go too far because, you know, we want to still present ourselves as, as, as good, faithful people before God, so we sort of articulate our prayer in a way that we think is reasonable, in a way that sounds good. It all depends on our words, doesn't it? When we praise, when we praise... um, Now, of course, worship, we're told that everything we do should be an act of worship. So worship doesn't necessarily require, require words, but praise, if you give someone praise, you say, well done, that's great, that was brilliant, keep going. When we praise God, we are effectively saying, God, you're amazing. You're, you're, you're staggeringly, awesomely perfect. You are, you are God. You are so brilliant. We're kind of buttering him up a bit. But unlike when we, when we give humans praise, we don't often deserve it. God always does. There is no compliment we can pay God, which is over-egging it. So prayer and praise are closely linked because... They both come from the tongue. They both come from what we say. I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever prayed a prayer saying, Lord, what are you up to? Today, it's just been ridiculous. You've, you've really messed this up. I cannot believe that, you've, that you've, you've, you've done this. What you should have done is this, this and this. That would have been a much better idea. How, long, you, how many thousands of years have you had to work this out? I don't think I've ever prayed a prayer like that because I know that that wouldn't be a very wise move. In the same way with praise, I've, I don't think I've ever um, treated it like an appraisal. God, you know, you, that creation thing was really, really good. But why did you make evil? You know, you really let yourself down there. That was a shame. So objectives for the next six months, wipe out evil and just polish up the bits of creation that aren't so good. You know, like West Ham supporters and things like that. You know, I don't think I've ever prayed a prayer like that. Maybe the bit about the West Ham supporters, but, but certainly not the rest. Because when we talk to God, we're very careful about what comes out of our mouths. So tonight, just briefly, I want to talk about Matthew chapter 15, just two verses, verse 17 to 19. 
Now, this is a passage where Jesus is with his disciples and he's been challenged by some Pharisees. And the Pharisees have criticised him because um, his disciples haven't gone through the, um, the hand-washing ritual before eating food. And the Pharisees were very public about this, made a big thing of it, um, that they're, they're cleansing themselves, and they, they've noticed the disciples don't. And so they've said to Jesus, what's going on? Your, um, your, your disciples aren't following the, the law. They're not, they're not following our good example because we, we've studied the scriptures. We know what the law requires. And Jesus has, um, has, has rebutted this and then there's been a bit of toing and froing and eventually we get to verse 17 where Jesus says these words. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body. But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these things make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what makes a man unclean. So they're the verses that we're focusing on tonight. But I just thought I'd give you the, the, the context of, of the passage overall. But you see, what Jesus is saying, it makes perfect sense. It doesn't take a genius to work out what we put into our mouths and swallow. It then goes down into the stomach and on a long journey and eventually leaves the body. Jesus isn't being crude here. He's just stating fact. That's what happens. He's saying, look, don't get hung up on... The, the, the ritualistic washing of hands, because actually the most important thing isn't what goes in, it's what comes out. And he's not talking about going in and coming out, he's talking about the mouth, he's talking about the tongue, he's talking about what we say. Don't worry about what goes into the mouth. The things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. So in other words... Our bodies process what goes in and react accordingly. If it's something that's not good, then we might react badly. But most of the time, our bodies will process it and they'll be used to, to keep us healthy and build, build muscles and, and, and keep, us, keep, us, keep us going, give us energy. Our bodies process what goes in. Other people process what comes out of our mouths, though. And they too react accordingly. If something bad comes out of our mouths, it goes into other people through their ears. And other people process it and they react. See, once a word leaves our mouth, it's too late to get it back. We can't, although we'd like to sometimes, we cannot grab it and reel it back in and, and stuff, it, stuff it under the carpet and pretend it never happened. We just can't do that. I don't know if you've ever been typing an email and, and, and put the wrong person in the address bar or, um, or said something and, and then to change your mind but forgot to delete it and then hit send and then you have to go through, oh no, how on earth do I, do I retract an email? How do I get it back before it's been read? And then you get confirmation it's been read and you think, oh no, oh dear. But you see, sometimes you can get lucky and sometimes you can delete a message before it's been read but you can't do that with the spoken word. And that's what Jesus is saying here. The things that come out of the mouth, they come from the heart. 
And they will go into other people, and other people will hear your heart. And so the conversations that we have are so, so, so important. Jesus says these are the things that make a person unclean. What comes out of the mouth? They're the things that can make you unclean. Now, of course, when Jesus, Jesus spoke, he, he often spoke in absolutes. When he spoke about what makes you good, as far as Jesus was concerned, good meant perfection. Anything, the slightest, um, the slightest impurity, you were no longer good. Jesus was good. Of course, we'd say Jesus was perfect, but he was, he was almost binary. You were either good or you weren't. He's the only one that's ever been good. No one else has ever been good in the language of Jesus. But here, he talks about being clean and unclean. He's talking about purity. It's what comes out of our mouths that makes us impure, that makes us a sinner. Because it reflects what's in our heart. When I was talking to the guy I mentioned on Christmas Eve, the hostage negotiator, and he was talking about suicides. And it struck me that in his job, when he's in a situation like that, he must have to choose his words incredibly carefully. Because there is somebody who is hanging by a thread. They are so close to ending their life. And he has to find the right words to bring them back. What a responsibility. I was in awe of this guy. I said to him, that must, how, do you, how, do you, how do you unwind? And he said, oh, you, you find ways. You, just, you, 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 get, you get over it. You, you can, but there are some things that are easier to forget than others. The responsibility of that. If he comes out with a flippant comment, that could be it. That could end a life. If he, if he choo- uh, uh, doesn't choose his words carefully, then the risk is huge. But you see, in the same way, we believe in a God of salvation. We believe that if we don't choose to follow Jesus, you, he's the only way to heaven. If we choose not to follow Jesus in our earthly lives, then when we stand before God, we have no one interceding for us. We are confronted with our own sin, our own impurity. We are unclean and there is no one who is going to be able to clean us up. And therefore, we are not made pure to go and dwell in the kingdom of God. And so actually, we too should have that responsibility as well. We should, we should feel that weight of responsibility when we have conversations with, with non-Christians, not just non-Christians, but fellow Christians. We should be encouraging each other and lifting each other up. You know, that should be one of, our, one, of our, one of our primary aims in any conversation we have, that the person that we're speaking to feels better about things when they walk away from the conversation than they did when they started it. Now, that's not always easy to do, but it should be something that we strive for. Because actually, when we bring someone to Christ, we are saving a life. But that's, that's huge, that's brilliant, that's fantastic. And every time that we, we, we baptise somebody, that's a life saved. That's a celebration. That's fantastic. But the flip side is, every time that we are overheard talking in a way that does not reflect 
the faith that we profess to have. We can cause damage. We can tick a box in a typical Sunday morning Christian stereotype. We can let ourselves down. There was a famous poster, I'm sure you would have seen it, in the Second World War. Um, uh, There was um, two ladies sitting on a bus, and um, uh, they were having a good old natter, and behind them was, um, I think it was uh, Hitler and Goebbels, and it had the slogan underneath, careless talk costs lives, because, of course, you didn't want information getting into enemy hands, which which could compromise um, Allied troop movements or, or, or anything. Careless talk costs lives. Well, actually, for the Christian, it's exactly the same. When we have conversations, when we come back from a church meeting and say, oh, flipping heck, that went on a bit. Or when we, when we come back from an evening service and say, oh, dear, some struggled to hit quarter past eight tonight. I should be all right tonight, but I know, I know there are times where I'm not always perfect on that front. Or when we come away from a Sunday morning and, oh, do you know, the, the, the tea was cold again. For goodness sake, how difficult is it to boil a kettle? Things were magnificent this morning. That's not, a, that's not spoken for experience. Or when, when, when someone says, I cannot believe how so-and-so spoke to me and I'm really upset. And when we have those conversations, who is listening? Joe and I have got a sponge in our house in the form of a five-year-old boy. The other morning he said to me, um, Daddy, don't forget... Um, grandma's having a stair lift serviced at nine o'clock today. I said, what? And he repeated it. I said, Timothy, how do you know that? Because he was right. And he said, well, I heard mummy talking on the phone. I said, oh, right. He said, I listen to people's conversations. And he was really proud about it. He was really proud. I thought, oh, no. (gasps) Wow, right. I'm glad you've told me that, son, because... I've got to be careful. But it's true, isn't it? Because if I get home from church and I start having, having a moan, I mean, I, 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 I love what I do. It's an absolute blessing, and I, I don't do that. But can you imagine if Timothy grows up in a household where his mum and dad go to church and are all smiles and nice and come home and moan about it? What's that going to do to him? Careless talk costs lives. That is still just as true today as it was in the Second World War. In fact, it's always been true. We can damage those around us without even meaning to. We would never have a clue. But our children or our friends or our family or our neighbours or our colleagues could overhear us talking negatively about our church, about our faith, and immediately think, wowee, that sounds like a political minefield. That sounds like a nightmare. There's no way I'm getting involved in that. And immediately, it's the spiritual equivalent of the hostage negotiator saying, mate, don't jump, I'm going to be going to a party, and now do us a favour, will you? And suddenly the person jumps, and he's lost them. We have that weight of responsibility on us. And I know, it, I know it's difficult to see it like that sometimes. It's hard to, to imagine life in those terms, but spiritually, that is the responsibility that we have. We are these hostage negotiators. That's why I thought we'd spend the time earlier in the service thinking back over conversations we've had in recent, uh, the recent weeks over the festive period. Because we should remember every conversation and we should pray that what we said was right for that time. That what we said planted a seed or maybe nurtured a seed. Maybe at least challenged somebody. Even if it made them think, oh, last time I'm talking to that person, they're a Christian, cannot stand it. At least we prompted a response. We need to prompt a response in people, but we need to make sure that our words are chosen so carefully. 
At this time of year, there are so many people who, who make New Year's resolutions, who, who plan to change. I was speaking to somebody the other day who's, who started a new diet, and it, it sounded very odd. It's um, 75% fat is their intake. I, I said, what? I said, this sounds like a brilliant diet. When do I start? How can I sign up? But apparently it's like a bodybuilding thing. Don't, I'm, no, I'm no nutritionalist, right? Don't ask me for the science. But um, this person was saying that you, you take in um, loads of fat and um, as a result of that, you take in less protein and carbohydrates and other stuff. Um, and so your body, again, don't ask me, but apparently your body starts to eat into its own fat reserves to, to turn it back into carbohydrates and proteins to make up for the things that you're not getting. And so as a result of that, your body starts burning off fat. And apparently it's very popular with bodybuilders and people like that, so I suppose it must sort of work. But 75% fat? Since when has that been healthy? That sounds like the most unhealthy diet ever. That's just ridiculous. I mean, for goodness sake, you might as well do the deep-fried Mars bar diet. It's crazy. But you see, it makes people look good on the outside. And so people do it because they want to look good on the outside. But actually taking in all that fat must be terrible for your insides. What are you like on the inside? Because what comes out of our mouths reflects our heart. That reflects what we're like on the inside. We can look, we can look magnificent. I don't know why I'm pointing to myself here, because clearly that's not the case. But we can look magnificent on the outside. But we can open our mouth, and it very quickly can come clear that we are anything but magnificent on the inside. A change in behaviour can prompt a change in attitude. Since I've had that conversation with Timothy, in which he has made it clear that he is a little sponge, and I know he's a typical, he's not a not a super genius child by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> he's my son. Um, but he's just a little sponge. How many little sponges did we have in here this morning? How many of them have gone home and heard something which has stuck in their minds and was that thing good? How many times are we going to be sitting in a pub or in a, a coffee shop or in a library or at a railway station or anywhere and have a conversation that is overheard? We don't know the impact we're having. We, we, we know that God works in ways that we cannot understand. He uses our words even when we don't speak them to the people that he, in whose life he uses them. Let's remember that. And let's make sure that every conversation we have, every word that comes out of our mouths, honours him. That is a challenge. That is a, a challenge to me, and I'm sure it's a challenge to you too. But it is something that we should be reminded of if we can change our behaviour, if we can change our mindset. Joe said to me a little while ago, it's, um, it's something, I think she'd seen it on Facebook, um, it, was, it was just a, a daily challenge, and it said, for every, every criticism that comes out of your mouth today, let there be two compliments. For every negative that leaves your lips, let there be two positives. For every time you knock someone down, build them up even higher. That's a challenge, but what a great attitude to life. But that's got to be a conscious change in behaviour because for most of us, for most of us, we're quick to criticise and slow to compliment. Let's change that. A change in behaviour, it can cause a change in attitude. 
It really can. I remember in the millennium, February half term, my brother and I decided that we wanted to set ourselves a bit of a challenge, so um, we packed a rucksack each and we went up to Scotland. We flew up to Glasgow, we got off the plane and we walked um, from Glasgow to Fort William, about 125 miles or so, not in one day, obviously, um, but it was in February and we were camping and it was, it was, it was brilliant, but it was, it was horrendously di- difficult as well. And the very first stretch of it, it goes up the side of Loch Lomond and we thought, I think about, about 20 miles or so on the first day, we thought we can do that, we'll be fresh and you know, we, can, we can get a big chunk of this done. And so um, we, we started doing it, we set off very early. And we, we, we got to, uh, must have been about nine o'clock at night, and we'd done a long day. And we decided on the first, the first night we weren't going to pitch tent, we were going to find a bothy, which was um, like a little uh, shelter, a um, little hut, basically, where um, hikers can, can go and have a fire and get some shelter. We thought, yeah, we'll use that, that'd be lovely. Um, Anyway, about nine o'clock at night, we'd, we've walked 20 miles, we've got heavy backpacks on with everything we were going to need for the next five days, and um, we were shattered. And from about the 14th mile onwards, I was just thinking, I just want to get there. I just want to get I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm tired from the, the very early start, the flight, the, the, the challenge of navigating, the cold, just everything. The carry in the pack, I am shattered. I just want to get there. And the miles ticked along, and eventually we got to this, this bothy. And as we walked up, we were both just absolutely shattered. We'd said to each other, look, we're just going to get in there, dump our packs, and let's, just, let's just, just chill out for an hour, and then we'll get some food on and sort ourselves out. But we are exhausted. We cannot go any further. Anyway, we got to this bothy, and this guy comes out the door. We thought it would be empty. He comes out the door, and I knew something was up, because in one hand, he had half a bottle of whiskey, and in the other hand, he had an axe. Now, that might be a traditional Scottish greeting. I'm not sure. But it didn't really um, make us feel that welcome, um, especially when we suddenly realised he was leaving a trail of red dots in the snow from a big wound on his leg. And he was clearly um, drunk. And uh, we sort of suggested that maybe he should get medical attention. Um, he had a friend in the Bothy who, I don't know, if he'd, I don't know how the wound had happened, but um, uh, he assured us that he had a boat at the side of the lock that was gonna, he was going to Go, um, go, go back to his car. I, th- I said, you can't drive in this state. Oh, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. Anyway, it was just a bad situation. Now, my brother and I had the change in our circumstances triggered a massive change in attitude because suddenly we decided we weren't going to stay there that night and that actually we weren't too exhausted and we started walking again. And we walked until one o'clock in the morning. We covered about another eight miles and eventually we, we found a spot that we thought was secluded and we pitched tent and we stayed there the night. But you see, we, had to, we, were, we were convinced that we were too exhausted to go anywhere, to do anything. We couldn't take another pace and then our circumstances changed and we felt vulnerable and we felt threatened and it felt like a bit of an emergency situation. We did not feel safe and suddenly we discovered that actually we could do what we didn't think we'd be able to do before. It is possible to change our attitudes, to change our behaviour. We can achieve more than we, more than we imagine that we can when we have to. And do you know what? 2019, we have to. There are people out there who haven't yet heard the good news of Christ. In fact, even worse than that, there are people out there who think that Christ is bad news, old news, yesterday's news, irrelevant news, news that shouldn't even be be taught to our children, news that is just a waste of time. 
there are people out there for whom that is the prevailing attitude and it's up to us to change that. We are the hostage negotiator saying, no, don't give up. Don't, don't, con- don't dismiss this. Don't condemn this. Please give faith a chance. Just to finish up, I'm going to read a passage from James chapter 3. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and they're driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants them to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of the life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. He didn't mince his words. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. That is the, the words of James, the brother of Jesus. They were, you can almost see they were both brought up together because they're so alike in the way that they talk about the tongue, but they are absolutely right. They are absolutely right. So we've got a choice to make this year. We've got a choice to make. We can either keep going and, and just not think too much about what comes out of our mouths, or we can make sure that we consciously change our behaviour, that we make sure that every single word that leaves our lips honours God and saves lives. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That responsibility has been passed to us and he's still with us through his spirit, helping us. But it's up to us to do the work. So in 2019, let's crack on. Let's do this. Let's make sure that what comes out of our mouth reflects what is in our heart. And let's make sure that what is in our heart is Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you that even all these years after pen was put to paper and these things were written down, we can still turn and we can still find that your word is as relevant today as it ever has been. Father, please help us to make sure that every conversation we have this week, this month, this year, honours you. Father, when we speak to to fellow Christians, let us encourage them and build them up. Let 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 us really lift one another, infuse one another, motivate one another. Let us look forward to sharing together. Let us never cast one another down. Father, when we speak to non-Christians, we pray that you will help us to remember that that hostage negotiator and the responsibility that we have, even when they they upset us, even when we feel that they've treated us badly, even when they're abusive to us or mock us. Father, help us to respond in a Christ-like manner, a manner that pleases you a manner that will make an impact on them because we're not reacting in the way of the world, but instead we are reacting in the way of our God. 
Father, we pray that every seed that's been planted in lives of people that we've met in recent times, you'll help us to, to, to seek opportunities to nurture those seeds. And Lord, we pray that you'll help us to remember that we never know who is listening. A careless talk costs lives. And you care about every single life. So Father, we pray that nothing we say will cost a life, but instead we can save lives. We can bring people back to you because you are God. You are the only one who can save life. So we give thanks for that and we pray that you will help us to live lives that honour you. In Jesus' name, amen.